Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Shakira can, like, smash the shit out of uh, a, a sporting-type context, can't she? Yes. I mean, 20, 2010 World Cup song, it doesn't get any better sure. than that, does it? Weirdly, like, I have, like, in the days since, I have more than once wound up playing Waka Waka just, like, because it's got it in my head now. Like, yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Gonna, I've got to hear it. I, yeah. I'm just worried that we'll get more of this in football, to be honest. <laughs> Oh my I, god! I just think that that that's a concern to me. Like evening games in the Premier League, you'll have like Jason Derulo come on, <laughs> <laughs> or some weird stuff like this. Well, I think that's more this likely is, a Belgium home game. Is, <laughs> that's how you bring back the magic of the cup, guys. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> oh god. The word crisis is overused in football, isn't it? I think it's been correctly used in connection with Barcelona at the moment. With, of course, uh, Messi coming out on um, social media um, and challenging Eric Abidal, who came out and said that the reason they got rid of uh, Ernesto Valverde is because of the players. And it's not just that Messi has reacted so boldly to this when he doesn't really say much of any any interest really publicly, does he? It's the fact that everyone knows that there's this contractual situation in the background where he can unilaterally rescind at the end of the season and uh, walk away. Now, there are other aspects to this Barcelona situation. This is undoubtedly the biggest one. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's layers and layers here. And of course, exactly as you've said, what sort of makes it so tense is this theoretical possibility that Messi could mm. say, you know what? 
I'm sick of it. Theoretical is a useful word well, here, isn't it? I think so. And I was asking you guys this just before we came on. Like, do we actually believe he could go? And and my instinct is is no. My instinct is that there's no way that Messi, who has been so vocal in um, sort of talking about Barcelona and how he wants to stay there and how he wants to end his career, how he views these things. Mm. But there's only so many outs here. You know, there's, there's an out in which Abidal makes some... I would assume it'd have to be very public at this point, like apology to Messi and says, look, I messed up and I, and I, this thing. Can or, you climb down without resigning? Do you or, think? Or exactly. Or someone else's head has to roll, mm. like to make this okay. Because it's, you know, it's, it's very direct what Messi has done and I don't blame him for it. Um, I think you could, um, you know, you could turn it around and say, cause basically what he's saying and what he's sort of trying to, point out here is everyone's got a responsibility and the yeah. sporting director's responsibility is to um look after changes of management signings don't put that on the players don't mm. don't make that about us unless you're planning to sort of make a very specific accusation which wasn't made but on the flip side i think you could say in the past messi has sort of said well we didn't sign the players that i was sort of hoping things were going to happen as recently as last summer in right fact. so yeah. so you could you could say that he's being um hypocritical but it doesn't matter it actually doesn't matter if he's being hypocritical it doesn't matter if he's being fair all that matters in the end is that he's Leo Messi mm, and yeah. he's the kingpin here he's the most important piece in, in the Barcelona puzzle and and everything now is going to um, to completely switch analogies from puzzles to solar systems everything's going to orbit around him and Lars you don't think that him leaving is a, a, a genuine possibility you just think he's, he's jockeying for position don't you yeah I, listen if if I was Leo Messi, this is a hard thing to try to imagine. But okay, <laughs> if you try to put yourself in his shoes, I think you have genuine reasons to be a little bit unhappy with how the club's been run. No, because if you but for at, a long time, for a long time, right? I, I was just thinking the other day, when was the last time Barcelona made a signing that really worked out? I mean, this I, mean is... I think we're I think we're sort of back in 2014. Mm-hmm. I think we're back into sort of Rakitic and Testegen sort of territory between the la- for the last time. Okay, like Paulinho was okay. Uh, Vidal has been useful. I mean, there have been guys who've come in and and, and contributed to. But the they're calls. not the future. No, but and also, but guys, when was the last time this club actually made a signing that just was straight into the team? That guy is really good, you know, sorted. That guy's going to be here for five, six years and just really make the team a lot better. That hasn't happened for over half a decade. And, and, and if you're Leo like Messi, billion. they've spent like a billion yeah, years in that time. If you're Leo Messi and you're, you must be aware that he's, you know, arguably the best player of all time, he, he doesn't have an infinite number of years left at the very, very highest level. You must look at this and say, guy, like, just build me a team that 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 works and that is good enough and right they've been winning the they've been winning La Liga but they've just kind of been making making do almost I mean has, has this sort of been percolating ever since Neymar went in a way because I think you can say it's one of the biggest triumphs the biggest triumph of Ernesto Valverde being in charge that you know we've talked about it before how there was the backdrop of political unrest in in, in Catalonia but also the backdrop of unrest in terms of how people viewed the board and people have viewed the board with suspicion if not out outright ridicule for a, a, a long time at Barcelona but the fact that Valverde made it all about Messi again he set up a, a system of 4-4-2 initially that really really suited him that got him playing or arguably some of his best football in years and funnily enough now Valverde stepped away I'm not saying the two things are inextricably linked by by any any stretch of the imagination but the last couple of years have been the first time in a while that people haven't been wringing their hands about oh, are they wasting the last years of 
Messi's prime or are they, you know, wasting the last few years of, of, of fantastic Messi? Whereas now, as you say, Lars, we're thinking about that again, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, maybe that is why this sort of... Uh this little sort of dig at the the players with regards to Valverde is something that pushed Messi over the edge because Messi must be aware that Valverde didn't always... I think Valverde... I think history will come to see him as someone who did a very decent job under difficult circumstances yeah. and, 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 and made the squad... With all with all its issues, good enough to win La Liga, if nothing else, and of course with they some had comfort. Yeah, and they had some meltdowns in Europe. Yes, but this is a, a, a suboptimal squad in terms of all the pieces you have there. And over the years, the, the the additions haven't really worked out. And he still found a way to win the league. And I guess if you're Messi, that you would feel a little bit defensive about him and the and, and the players' willingness to work for him being pointed out as a problem. But. Nicky, how do we look at how Barcelona have got to try and manage this from from here on in? I mean, this this board has, has looked weak on a number of occasions, not least when when Neymar went. Of course, the fact that Coutinho, Dembélé haven't worked out, and Dembélé, goodness knows where he is after after that injury that's going to probably keep him out for the rest of the season. Where is he going forward? Where is he in terms of what his value actually is now? The fact is that Messi does have this unique power, doesn't he? I mean, one of the first questions for Zinedine Zidane in his press conference this week is, can you actually see Messi away from Barcelona? Like, people are considering it as a possibility, and he does have this incredible power. I mean, Monica Planas in, in Marca said, um, uh, Leo Messi ch- uh, chose um, Instagram stories to respond to Eric Abidal, which is quite an adolescent strategy. Now, of course, this is Marca getting stuck in. But where where is the view of of Messi, depending on where this goes next? I mean, I suppose it depends whose view you're asking for. I think the whole world outside of, um, certainly outside of Spain and, and probably outside of, of Barcelona, um, any club that might even consider itself vaguely possibly rich enough to have a go is looking at it and thinking this is fascinating this yeah. is something we you know we don't care if he looks a little bit petulant we'd have him in a heartbeat here of course you would he's Leo Messi I mean yeah. even I um you know this this sort of had this little tickle in the back of my head thinking well we got Ronaldo to Italy if we could just get Messi over that'd be, that'd be spectacular <laughs> get him at Inter and we could we could do the um the retirement version of a great rivalry um but um I think you know more realistically because I don't actually think he's going to go at the end of this the people whose view is sort of most essential i mean you think of of bartomeo the the, the president mm. and the fact that i think he's up for re-election probably not going to stand for re-election but he may well have someone who he wants to put for re-election yeah, this is next year the next elections year, isn't it yeah you know this is this is your legacy at this point this is you know on you to sort out and uh, very much will influence um, everything going forward in that, uh, in terms of if Messi goes, obviously, you know, that's the end of it. And you're going to remember as the person who, who blew it. Yeah. Um, and if you manage to resolve it, then it, it was almost certainly going to be, well, are you going to get Messi's approval? Are you going to be the person who Messi is encouraging the yeah. club, um, I guess, the electors to vote for? Um, it's it's a hugely delicate situation for a number of people. Um, I completely agree with Lars that uh, the, the transfers going back for years and years and years have put this club in a really sort of difficult spot. Over a decade. I mean, you could go yeah. back to Ibrahimovic and, and, and Eto, couldn't you? But And, and this is, um, you know, now 
a super fascinating year ahead because it's not just that you've got to keep Messi. The fact is that the te- Messi's there and the team is bad right now. I mean, bad yeah. is relative. I get it. <laughs> but we're talking about like a disaster for a team that's won the last two La Liga titles and is what, three points off first place? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, nevertheless, yeah, part of the reason they supposedly didn't manage to get a deal across the line this January is because they're thinking of, oh, we're trying to sign Lautaro Martinez in, in the summer. And I'm thinking, well, to be fair, Martinez is, is flipping great. Like I really rate mm. him at, at Inter and I'd be sad as someone who does cover Italian football first and foremost. It's sad to see him go, actually. Um, but the problem is like some of the signings they've made, you look at and you're like, well, that was a, that was a can't miss. Like Griezmann was a can't miss signing. Yeah. You know, you think after some of the signings they've made, like Dembele, where you think, okay, there's a bit of a gamble there. But then it it has missed. Yeah, and Dembele's one thing. I think some of these big signings they've made are great players that haven't had an obvious place in the team. I mean, yeah. Coutinho is the poster child for that, right? For sure. Coutinho yeah. is great. But as as the as the equally great Tim Vickery, even greater Tim Vickery, I'd say, pointed out at the time is that where does he fit in that sort of 4-3-3 system they played? Coutinho doesn't have an obvious place there. And he's always from day one looked like a, uh, like, like, like an answer, an answer looking for a question. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't worked there. And, uh, and I think you can make the same case about Griezmann. He's one who's also has to adapt his game to fit into that system. And, and Dembele hasn't worked for, uh, the fitness and, and, and I think, I think you would say non-sporting reasons maybe in some cases. Uh, but, but, but those two massive signings they've made were both unquestionably good players but also players that didn't have an obvious place in the team to slot into and I would say the same about Lautaro yeah. like Lautaro is great playing off of, of, of Lukaku that works brilliantly where does he fit they're, into this Barcelona pair, system they? they're very is much their power is in the pair isn't it and, yeah and, and surprisingly because I never thought it would be because they look like two number nines to me but actually I think that um Lautaro is he's, he's something a little bit different. He's definitely different to what Lukaku is as a number nine. And I, I get what you're saying, Lars. Where would you put him? You put him ahead of Messi in the middle? Like, is Weird. that going to work in the same way? No. no, it's not. Actually, Rodrigo is the link that makes more sense to me. Even though he's not a spectacular player, at least he's a really hardworking forward guy who, who can do the sort of more selfless sort of Pedro type job mm-hmm. of pulling people out of position and keeping width and this sort of thing. That's something Rodrigo could do maybe. But and the point is, it's so weird what they did in January as well. I think uh, the sort of farming out of a bunch of young players, uh, like they've all they've all gone out on loan. Like Todibo and and Musavage and Alenia and Perez have all gone out on loan, but three of them have options to buy. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are this, these are young players who at some point have been considered very promising or interesting, who haven't really had a chance to show anything and who are now being sent off. And if I'm a Barcelona fan, it's been, it's been a while since we saw, like, Ansu Fati aside, it's a while since we saw La Masia produce anything like the sort of uh, uh, the, the, the talent that we, we associate with that club. And, and like Carlos Perez was probably not the, the big solution to anything, but he's a guy who I think has gone through the system there, has shown enough that you'd expect him to get... I mean, he's had five more La Liga starts than my dog. And, and, and that's <laughs> fewer than I think someone like him should be entitled to, to get to sort of try to show that he can he can do something there. And, and people would think, I agree, right, that Pedro is not uh, Iniesta or a Javi, but a very important contributor. And yeah, you could argue he was in that same sort of role. I think when you look at Barcelona going forward, it, it is a... Definitely a a time of crisis, as we were saying at the top, because I think you look at um, Rakitic coming out and publicly talking about his unhappiness, about them trying to force him out. You've got um, Vidal's agent trying to sue for an unpaid bonus. And again, these these are players who've been important for them this season, even though they would have ideally had younger players being important for them. I wonder, though, is 
Abidal, I, I don't know, you could argue it's self-inflicted because of how, how he came out and spoke, but is he the, the, the silent victim in this, really? Because uh, it makes me feel sad that Abidal was such a good player for them, and then he was a guy who, you know, when he, when he came back in, in, in 2011, like six weeks after, after surgery on that tumour to, to lift the, the European Cup, the Champions League with uh, Carlos Puyol at Wembley. It was one of those iconic modern Barcelona mm-hmm. moments. And, and surely him becoming sporting director was a moment where they're saying, actually, we're getting our shit together upstairs because it didn't work with Puyol himself. He got really frustrated and, and, and left. And whereas you look at a club like... Bayern, who like place an absolute premium on having people who they see as having you know some sort of soul in the club, moving upstairs and, and running things, that's not working out for Barcelona. They can't get it right at board level at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Again, going through those signings we've made, and you think about how many sporting directors the club has gone through since 2014. Yeah, um, when Zubi was sacked. Well, is, it, is, it, is it like four and five years or something it's now? Something like I that, think if yeah. you've gone through that number of sporting directors, I mean, unless you've just hired complete lunatics, which they haven't, then there's something wrong institutionally rather than the individuals that have gone through there. I agree. And Abadell feels like an appointment that you would even pick thinking, OK, well, you know what? Like him and Messi, they, what, they played together for six seasons. Like they know mm. each other. They're friends. They go back a long way. But I mean, this was a really stupid thing to say. It was. Yeah, it was, and 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 that is sort of what do you want from a sporting director? Obviously, there's like decisions about scouting and decisions that are sort of um, really fundamental to that job. That are um, maybe some of them even beyond our scrutiny as journalists. Things mm. that, that people inside the building can see. Mm. But in terms of what your public facing role is, sporting directors should not be saying things that rock the boat at all. They just no. shouldn't. Like, that's just not like you know managers might get away with it sometimes. Sporting directors should be as bland as they can be publicly and and this was an unnecessary drawing of players into the situation small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P forward slash ramble. Elsewhere in Spain, though, with Roberto Soldado <laughs> shining in the Copa del Rey, soldier uh, getting Granado, who've had a really good season, um, back into the, 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 the semi-finals. The bit I liked about this the most about these these two goals against his former club Valencia, there was none of that. I'm not celebrating against my former <laughs> club. I suppose he can't. He doesn't score often enough these days, Lars. To, no, to, not to at be all. a chooser. Well, I mean, he's got two and 18 in the league, so that's that, that's kind of like Tottenham form, really. But I think maybe he's a guy who works really hard. He's um, He can finish, even though he doesn't seem to do it that often these days. But for, for a team like Granada, having someone with his experience to, to lead the line, I, I guess that's a good place for him to end up. That's, that's it. I mean, it is quite a young team, Granada, isn't it? There's a lot of young talent there. He's going to be, what, 34? Five in May. Mm, uh, I, I mean, he's, he's he's getting on now, and he clearly does contribute something. I mean, what I find remarkable is in amongst those like three La Liga goals, Nicky, nine bookings already this season. I <laughs> yes. mean, this this is a guy who <laughs> properly gets involved. Big fan of that. Love it. Um, yeah, do you know there was um, he's one of those players, Soldado, and, and um, actually I think we were talking about this before that he didn't interview with Sid Lowe end of last mm. year. And one of the things that, that sort of stuck with me from that was him saying, oh, you know, basically if I could have a, another go at life, you're reincarnated or something, I'd want to be a footballer again. And like, I just think like, <laughs> I know that's like an obvious thing to say, look, a footballer's life's pretty good. But like a lot of people might be like, oh, you know, there's other things that I would love to experience. Mm. He just, he loves what he does. And I mm. think that's why even if he's not scoring many goals, he's still getting stuck in, obviously. And it's someone who's, uh, e- even at the sort of lowest points of his career, like his work ethic has never been questioned, his attitude's never been questioned. I mean, he was... He's never been detested by the fans at Tottenham. No, Tottenham, or, or Tottenham fans were not known for always being the most patient of football supporters. Mm. They were remarkably patient with him and incredibly supportive. Because I think, I, I was actually at uh, White Hart Lane for quite a few games when he was there. And you can just, the, the effort was there, the desire was there, all the things that you want to see as a football fan was always there uh, even when you would I mean he you'd understand it if his head dropped a little bit you didn't really see that he went into every game with the right attitude and the right approach and it just didn't work for him in England and he spoke about that I think as well in the same interview about how he just couldn't quite adjust to how things were a little bit different yeah and um, you know I, I suppose the thing about him that was in one way the most attractive his work rate just came to be the only thing. Yeah. I, I mean, which is, which is a, a shame, but Valencia, obviously the champions of, of, of the Copa del Rey getting knocked out of the competition. They haven't taken it 
particularly well, or the Valencian press at least hasn't taken it particularly well with Super Deporte having the headline VAR 2, Valencia 1. Um, I'm, I'm sure this will be like crashingly familiar to, 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 to some of our, our listeners. There was a bit of a climb down from that afterwards because Rodrigo had one goal knocked out for, for offside before he did eventually score the equaliser. And then the, the penalty was pretty dubious from which Soldado eventually scored the winner. Sure, you know, just it just occurs to me now with this sort of widespread uh, contempt for VAR, which in some cases is justified, just occurs to me, <laughs> referees must be loving this. It's a great lightning rod for them. You don't see the sort of l'arbitro to uh, the Valencia nil thing. You know, you, 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 whereas in the past, we would whinge about the referee. Now it's all about <laughs> VAR. It's brilliant. Yeah. If you're a ref, you must be loving this. Yeah, maybe maybe not so much if you're Roberto Soldado. I mean, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> well, he's, he's done... famously not a ref. <laughs> yeah, but I think you, you yeah. think I've, I've, I've scored those. I've scored those goals. I deserve the love. I've celebrated so even they can get a bit angry about it. And someone's talking about something else. I mean, that sucks. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Also, I'm not, not quite sure. I'm, I'm also not sure why a Spanish newspaper would use the Italian word for ref like I just did in my suggestion for a headline <laughs> there. But let's let's move on. It's a very continental show. It's fine. <laughs> of course, there was cup action in um, Germany as well with the DFB Pokal. A lot of fun, I thought this. Yeah, a few little shocks. Well, you know, I'm very keen on always talking to our listeners about the free football that's available out there. Yeah. And I was, I was tweeting about this during the week, the fact that all the DFB Pokal games were available live on YouTube. On, you just type... It's very nice. You, you just type German football in the search en- engine. It's the it's actually called the German Football Channel. And um, they had some great matches. Uh, the earliest one was Eintracht versus Leipzig. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to how Leipzig are having this this little wobble at the moment. They they went out to, to, to Eintracht um, with Andre Silva getting on the score sheet and Kostic having a good game as well um, but we're going to look first at Werder Bremen versus uh, Borussia Dortmund now I looked at Werder Bremen and how things have absolutely fallen to bits mm. there in my um, in my column in the Guardian this week and yet Dortmund having started 2020 with 15 goal, uh, 15 goals in their first three Bundesliga games it always felt as if some little pratfall was around the corner and lo and behold, yes, uh, a significant pratfall. You know, it's always funny when people who don't normally watch a team all suddenly start watching it. This is obviously what's happening in Norway now, uh, where a lot of fresh eyes are looking upon this Dortmund team. <laughs> uh, I have like sort of old friends from, because uh, as I may have mentioned on this show, Ali Holland is from the same little town in Norway as I am. I think I've mentioned it pretty much every show I've been oh, on. No, I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I have like people who are, you know casual football fans who would watch the Premier League every weekend who are who are now watching Dortmund games even, right. even if there's I mean I had a lot of people tweet, I think it was this weekend when Dortmund clashed with Man United or something and a lot of people are going this is really odd I'm choosing to watch the Bundesliga instead of Man United which for Norwegian <laughs> people is a strange sort of but anyway what I'm getting to is I'm seeing a lot of tweets from like Norwegian football Twitter who don't normally watch Dortmund going all right, they've done well signing Holland. Should they not also have signed a defender or two in January? Because <laughs> if you're not used to watching Dortmund play, or indeed you're not used to watching a lot of German football, there is some weird stuff going on in that defence. Well, I wanted to ask you about this, actually, Nicky. Part of the defensive solution uh, for Dortmund has been suggested to be Emre Can, which is interesting to me because, of course, I think it's a, a good thing that they brought him in mm-hmm. because there's too much pressure on Axel Witzel. It, it feels like they rely on him a little bit too much in midfield. Emre Can is 
is a top player. You know, just because he he ended up in the situation he did end up in, in Juventus, very unhappy and excluded from the Champions League squad. I think they've got themselves a good signing. It has been suggested, and he was only on the bench um, for this this game against Werder, that maybe he'll, he'll play this weekend. Um, there's been the suggestion that they'll use him in a back three. Now, I tend to think mm. there's... Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for keeping, yeah. keeping control of the ball and all, all the rest of it. Yeah. And, and I realise defending has changed and our perception of what a centre-half should be has changed. However... If there's a one area you think they're really lacking at the back, and the game that pushed Julian Weigel over the edge is when he was playing one of the three centre-backs against Paderborn, and he had, well, it, it, it was dreadful. He looked like a pensioner in a school sports day. Mm. Um, Emre, a strange image. It is, isn't it? Emre John, as one of a back three, seems to feed into that problem rather than help. Or, or am I missing something? Well, he's not a fast... I think that's yeah. sort of, that's like yeah. the first like thing when you think about when I think about Emery Chan and certainly the thing which held him back a lot at Juventus is he's not fast. Right. And did that hold back Juventus's midfield in general? Do you think? I, th- I think he was. Um, you know, it's the same narrative as as um, maybe some of what we're talking about with Barcelona. It's it's signing a player because he's an interesting player when there was no real thought about where he was going to fit in that team, mm. and because and, he was free. Yeah, and and Juventus have sort of. This is Aaron Ramsey says yeah. hello, by the way. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but actually, interestingly, you know, you could draw some parallels there between Barca and Juventus. But the good thing that Juventus have done is mostly made these signings on players who didn't cost them transfer fees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ooh. still spending a lot on wages and bonuses, though. But um, yeah, um, that would be my instant hesitation. I mean, I think you could make a back three with Emery Chan in it, because you know, successful back threes, really good back threes, very often have roles you know they have they have yeah. different you know it's easy for me to go to so apologies but the obvious one is you know that Juventus back three when it was Barzali Bonucci and Chiellini it made sense because you had three very distinct footballers Barzali who was great at marking Bonucci was great at putting his foot on the ball and bring it out and we could be afforded a free role because it's a back three mm. um and Chiellini who was your aggressor the person who sort of could go and take on a man and 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 sort of bring that physicality and and that works. So if you sort of put Charlie in, in that sort of setup, I guess, as a Bonucci, as someone with a more free role with the distribution, sure, I can kind of see it working, but you have to have the right things around him. And certainly the way Dortmund play, which is nothing like how you went to play, yeah. um, with such a sort of reckless at times attacking mindset, I really think that pace is important. Pace to make up for things that happen in front of you is important. Yeah, and, I mean Dan Axel Zagadou has yeah. arguably been their most important defender this season because he does have that athleticism that clearly yeah. Mats Hummels doesn't have, for example. Yeah, I mean you know it's not all of it, but it's part of why Chris Smalling has been such a, a hit for Roma. It's because right. Fonseca wants to play a high press, wants to play this sort of, and before Smalling got there, it was just not enough pace there at the back, and Smalling mm. can run. And like I think, mm. yeah, it's. With defenders, there's a horses for courses thing, and and I'm I, I'm not close to the idea as you say. Football has changed, defending has changed. Like the Chan could be a good defender, whether or not it will work for him here in this setting is is a tricky question. He is an odd player, Emre Chan. Just as in terms yeah, of his skill set, agree with that. It's it's really hard to pin down. Like he's clearly very good, and he can do many things well. But it's clearly hard to what exactly is his best position and what is his best role in a team. You know, you could say the same same thing about Adrian Rabio, who's a different player, mm. a distinct player. But I I often looked at Rabio and thought, you know, if we're moving into an age where being a centre half isn't all about just winning twenty headers a game and and putting in six tackles a game. 
I, I quite fancy Rabiot as a centre-back, especially for a team that has a lot of the ball. It's an inter- interesting switch of play there, Andy. I didn't quite <laughs> see that coming, just straight to Rabiot. Now, um, I, I, I just Going think for Chan, the French I can imagine club. Chan kind of working in, in the back line as a guy who steps into midfield, but maybe for a team that has a bunch of possession and when there are other people who have yeah, pace around yeah. him. I mean, like what Josh Kimmich does for Bayern, like you could see Emre Can doing, like starting out as a right back, but moving a lot into midfield because you have 70% possession most games anyway, so you might as well do that. Right. That's, I mean, that's, you know, that's why Bonucci was a a much better fit at Juventus than at Milan, for instance, Mm. because you dominate games and he gives you, you dominate the ball generally at Juventus and he gives you another outlet, another way of distributing the ball. If you're getting too tightly pressed in midfield because everyone's concentrating on Pjanic, here's your extra distributor from a different angle, from a different spot on the pitch. But you do need the ball, like, which is, you know, when Dortmund get the ball, it's not they want to get rid of it. They just want to put it in the net three yeah. seconds later. Like exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. That's it, isn't it? And so I, I so suppose... Favre is going for the sort of 7-4 victory still, <laughs> yeah. I think. Should be fun. Well, if, if, we, if we're going back to um, Erling Holland for a second. Yes, um, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I think, is, is that one of the reasons that and he's still only started one game because he came on as a substitute in yeah. this Werder, Werder Bremen game because he's uh, what, a, a, a bit knackered, isn't he? We'll come to that, we'll come to that in a second. But we will come to that in a second, I promise. Um, but it's part of the reason he's adapted so quickly because the style completely suits him. The style suits him. I also think he's the type of player. It's like the Dortmund... The, the, the other attacking players they have, they've been looking for someone like him. Yeah. Like they have Sancho, they have Royce, they have Julian Brandt, they have Togen Hazard. They've got all these players who are great in terms of their approach play around the box and in terms of their way of getting into dangerous positions. They've just needed someone at the back post to square the ball to and they've not really had that. Like someone who makes the runs a proper centre forward would make. That was and his it's like goal, immediately it, against Werder. When you yeah. and just put him into the team and immediately they have someone to look for instead of like uh, another sort of group of sort of, sort of short technically accomplished guys who are all sort of running around like they have a focal point there now and it just it's just fallen into place uh, so quickly and I, I, I'm going to mention it because I thought it was really funny he was being interviewed by Norwegian TV after, after the uh, Köln game when he when he started that was the Köln game when he started wasn't Union. it? Union sorry. Union at the weekend oh, yeah. it's terrible it was Union uh, anyway uh, he started the game and he was being interviewed after the game and he was like oh it's your first game in front of the yellow wall you know uh, what was it like and I think they were looking for a sort of oh it's a great experience type answer and his first thought was oh, it was tough you know physically it was tough he's like Oof. yeah no it was heavy uh, because yeah. we forget that he's basically been injured for a couple of weeks and he hasn't really trained and like he hasn't been starting not because he's being carefully integrated into the team just because he's not really fit enough to play 90 minutes yet so this sort of bizarre scoring run he's been on has been in spite of him by his own admission just not being match fit and there could be definitely the opportunity for him to get super match fit over the next little while not just because his goals demand that he's in the team but Marco Royce is injured and Lucien Favre is getting a lot of criticism for this because it felt like Dortmund maybe weren't fully switched on for this game but yet Lucien Favre started Royce this is about the same point that he got injured last season and I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if Royce had stayed fit last season well they would have won the league the, the, yeah, the, the bit, but you the can bit say that, that most missed. seasons about almost like Dortmund. I mean, he's, he's yeah. so pivotal to them, but 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 maybe not so much this season no, because he's not been in great form. Maybe and they have got they have got alternatives. But he's a really important character, and I still think 
it's an odd one from Favre. Like you, you. I know the cup is great. Like the the, the and just watching the watching the German Cup games this uh, week with like full stadiums, really good atmosphere. Yeah, it was really sure. great, really great occasions. But like you're three points off the top of the league. You've got a huge Champions League tie against Paris Saint Germain coming up. You know that his legs are made of glass. Just maybe let Marco Roy sit that one out. Is all I'm saying. I mean, with, with Royce, it's it's about leadership as well, isn't it? Mm. You know, he's, he's a great captain. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. My mind has already gone into another player I don't want us to not mention, which is Giovanni Reina. Yes! American. Oh my God, amazing. What, what a first goal yeah. to, to, to score yeah. in, in that game. It's magnificent. I mean, that is the thing. We can talk about the defensive problems and other mistakes they make, but God, this team just continues to discover so like, yeah. players like that, don't they? Um, yeah. You think... Uh, Pretty good as well, I'm sure, for their marketing team with Pulisic being gone. Like, where can we get another American to keep the Americans interested? <laughs> got one already. He looks, he looks so ready, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, a... it's an astonishing goal, and I, I think probably if you're Werder, who've you know won one home league game all season, and they were quite lucky to win that against Augsburg right at, in, back in what, August. If you, you're you're them, you're thinking. How have they gone on about Dortmund for yeah. 10 minutes? We won! David <laughs> Selke <laughs> scored! <laughs> Come on! Yeah, no, and listen, the other thing, I, I do agree he hasn't been quite, quite itself, and I think it was, was it our friend, the friend of the show, Ryan Hun, who I think um, uh, mentioned on, on, on the internet that actually it's not one of those things you want to say out loud, but actually maybe, maybe Royce hasn't been quite, quite himself. Yeah. But I, I remember watching the, the Amazon documentary series on Dortmund, uh, which is a bit of a mixed bag, but there's there's some interesting stuff in there. And one of the things you really get a sense of is how important he is around the place and how much uh, how much he is a captain and a leader of that team. And and and, and I do think taking him out is uh, is a significant blow. And it's uh, it's someone who has those injury issues. Now it, it was odd that he played this game. It really was. There were a, f- a full program of midweek games in, in, in France as well. Um, but we, c- we can't really get past this without talking about Dimitri Payet's goal against uh, Saint-Étienne, can we, Lars? Which was uh, dribbled in from the left-hand side and he smashed it in past one of the better goalkeepers in Ligue 1, in Stéphane Ruffier, from an impossible angle. But, you know, people will look at that initially and think, okay... Did he mean to score? He definitely meant to score. I Absolutely. Think he, you look at his body shape, you look at the way before the ball's even go, gone in, he's kind of running off just before it goes over the line. He's sort of running off to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dope. I'm just going to do a little knee skid in the corner. And and this is very subjective because part of part of the, the great thing about our, our jobs is that we get to watch just an unholy amount of football and we can call it work. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing our listeners are also of the, the type of people who maybe listen and watch more football than what's healthy. So maybe you can identify with some of this, dear listener. But I, I have a great love for goals and, and passes and just players who do stuff that's it's not just hard to pull off technically, but stuff that's really stupid to try. Like, I mean, stuff that will get you told off by the coach. Because when you watch a lot of football, you see patterns. Like You get used to saying, okay, that's the right decision in that situation that ball should go there okay from that position you should probably shoot and you in your mind you see a couple of moves ahead you're used to seeing and this is one of those things where i think occasionally Messi can be less you, you don't warm to Messi as much as to other players because he's so logical like his decisions are always, almost always he almost always makes the right decisions he doesn't always surprise you that much you mm. you're you're blown away by his consistency and how technically brilliant he executes everything but he doesn't always do stuff that 
surprises you. Like, I, I have a great love for Ibra because he kept doing bizarre things. It's like, you shouldn't shoot from there, Ibra. No, you shouldn't karate kick that one. It's like all this sort of, if you go through Ibra's highlight compilation, there's so many weird things. And I, I, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I'm going to get angry comments over that messy thing, but I'll, I'll stand by it. <laughs> the point about this Paye goal, if you watch it, it's completely the wrong decision to go for goal. Like, you shouldn't do it. It's really daft. But he does, obviously, completely catches the goalkeeper by surprise as well. And it really is artfully done. That's why it works. Yeah. The keeper knows he's a dark thing to do. <laughs> yeah. He did. Yeah. Exactly. He's, he's, you wouldn't dare put it in my near post. Yeah. You absolutely wouldn't dare put it in my near post. The other thing I enjoyed about that game is when uh, Nemanja Radonjic, who's really improved this season, scored the second goal right near the end and approached the St. Etienne cop just uh, pointing at the Marseille badge <laughs> on, on, his, on his chest. It reminded me of... Uh, uh, the great Michel Bastos scoring a goal in uh, for, for Lyon at that end. Um, it, was, it was a winner in a, in a Coupe de France match. And uh, he, he um, tapped the badge several times, sort of whooshed it with both hands towards the home end and did a massive knee skid in front. And it caused like a massive set to. And bear in mind that St. Etienne versus Lyon is a massive derby, of, of course. And then they asked him about it afterwards because the St. Etienne players kicked off. They were really unhappy. Um, the crowd were unhappy. There was a stoppage in the game. And, and Bastos rather disingenuously said, I always celebrate goals like that. He said, really? Do you? <laughs> by, 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 by ostentatiously baiting the fans of your deadly rivals I'm not sure you do because you only get the chance to do it twice a season um, but but talking of meltdowns I mean Monaco had um, <laughs> a, a good win in the week a win that they really needed um, with uh, Stefan Jovetic coming back and, and, and scoring a goal um, against Angers to get them past there um, but we've still got in our mind the loss to Nîmes last weekend because not only a Nîmes like arguably the worst team in the division. So it's bad for Monaco to lose to them. But you had this extraordinary situation where they had two players sent off in the same move. Um, Bakayoko, whose um, tackle was upgraded by VAR from a yellow to a red. And then after this, Gelson Martins, a, you know, not a hard man by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> a kind of flair player, completely lost it, shoved the referee twice now, normally we would say by the time we listen to this, we'll know what sort of punishment he gets because the French uh, League's Disciplinary Committee sits on a Thursday. But what they will do, because it's quite a big case, is they will like provisionally suspend him while they look into the case and, and get all the evidence on it and um, the various witness statements and stuff. I mean, this season is probably done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it should be. It's one of those yeah. things where you could look at it. I appreciate you could look at it and go... You know, it's not, um, the shoves are not going to cause injury to the referee. They're not those sort of shoves. It's not like a, a fist thrown. But I just think it's it's about, with things like this, you can you can sort of look at it and go, it's heat of the moment. But it's, this, is, this is why then you have idiots in parks actually threatening referees. This is why you have amateur level, like yeah. real nonsense going on. If, if, if you don't set an example at this level of the game, that you absolutely cannot do that to a referee. Like mm. you can't expect it from people at a lower level. And that's why I think it has to be a big ban. And, you know, I mean, he hasn't been in the squad recently, but for, 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 for Martins, that's surely any hope of a Euro 2020 um, call out the window as well. Yeah. And he's got impact sub written all over him, mm. hasn't he? The sort of way he, he, he plays. I mean, having produced 
so many great wingers over the years. Like Portugal have more moved towards a more a more balanced sort of area. And if you look at a wide player like Bernardo Silva, he's a wide player that's not really a wide player. And if you speak to Portugal fans, they'd rather have him as a, a number ten anyway. So maybe that would have been the opportunity for for Martins. I mean, after the Atletico Madrid movie, they want to re kick start his his career in Monaco. And you know, there are a lot of careers that are are running aground there. I mean, we talked about Jovetic, who's been sort of undercut by injury. But you look at Vissan Benyeda, who'd given them the lead early on in that game against Nîmes. You know, scored a lot of goals in La Liga, moved back um, on a big transfer fee to, to, to Monaco. If you're Benyeda, do you regret going back to Ligue 1? Because he scored 15 goals. And he's playing for a totally average team. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, possibly. I mean, obviously, you know. He scored big Champions League yeah. goals. And, you know, now you've got the feeling that I'm loaded, but I'm maybe drifting. Yeah. At a, at a part of my career that, that is my prime. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? We talked about Soldado earlier and it's mm. it's sort of fascinating how careers really can drift on on decisions and, and yeah. don't necessarily come back around. You don't, yeah. even when you move on to a better situation afterwards, it doesn't necessarily come back to you. Yeah, that's true. Bella Italia. <laughs> and it's uh, definitely uh, the Bella Vita for uh, Rino Gattuso. Everything started to go right for for, for him and Napoli. San Gennaro. Lost, uh, San the Gennaro. Patron who stopped the lava, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I went to the catacombs in, in, in Naples of San Gennaro. And I think there was something about him stopping the lava. I don't, I'd had Do a late night this... on the wine the night before and I was in the catacombs quite early. There are day details of that tour that's quite hazy, but <laughs> there's something about him stopping the lava. Do you think the symbolism of it uh, informed the surprise decision by De La Reyes to appoint him in the <laughs> Who first knows? place? Who knows? Maybe Reno Gattuso is there. He's stopping the lava with his bare hands. It's going to take something spectacular to revive Napoli. He makes movies, so, you know, I can <laughs> see that sort of theatrical flourish. Um, well, it's, it's been a, a pretty good run uh, since they lost to Fiorentina they've now won 3 on the bounce if you count I just about to say if you count you should count the cup game against Lazio um, so yeah they beat Lazio in the cup and they beat Juventus they beat Sampdoria um, really fun game against Sampdoria this weekend yeah it was I, I would hesitate to say that everything is fixed there but um, certainly some things have improved sharply which is uh, uh, in- encouraging um, can <laughs> You cannot unpick what's happened at Napoli this season from the ownership. I think when Ancelotti was fired, there was this sort of knee-jerk um, behaviour from a lot of people where it was like, oh, Ancelotti's finished, Ancelotti is too nice, Ancelotti doesn't make them work hard enough. And, and a lot of it, frankly, was nonsense. Mm. Um, this team, so the beginning of the season, uh, you know, came in, I think, with seven plimbers of the first-team squad going into the last years of their mm. contract. You've got... Um, you know, all of that building up to this ridiculous sort of uh, clash about going into the, the training camp and, and, you know, the owner's son coming into the locker room and, and trying to dictate to the players while the owner is off in America having a nice time. Um, and then him coming back and threatening to sue people. Since the Fiorentina defeat, after Fiorentina defeat, Napoli went into another Tiro, which lasted one night. And I think this is a, a fascinating moment in the season that um, at some point, hopefully we will learn more about um, because they went there for one night and then they cancelled it. And what we have heard, you know, from the club now is, you know, basically there was a big clear the air talk. There was a like up till dawn, no one went to bed talk that night um, in which the players and Gattuso sort of really had it out. What we don't know and what has been sort of mooted a lot in the, in the regional press is that actually this sort of, these fines, this sort of thing, they've quietly been put to one side. Right. Now that isn't, that's not fact I'm, I'm giving you. That's, that's what's being reported. That's what's being suggested. That's what 
might be something that happened. I certainly think that there has been some rapprochement behind the scenes that has allowed some of this to happen because I think that the what was happening on the pitch was without question a manifestation of players mindsets and you look at the fact even that Mertens whose you know future isn't resolved but you know his future's still to be determined but finally back in the team this weekend and actually scoring a goal and you think mm. something has changed because he was away getting you know um treated and and that was a very sort of um, it was back home in Belgium, wasn't he? Getting, yeah. getting treated, but it was yeah. a very peculiar. Is he really injured? Situation that was going on with that. So, I think there's there's more to this story than we've seen. But um, in terms of what Gattuso has done right from the beginning, there was this sort of idea of we're going to wind it back to what Sally did. We're going to go back to the four three three. The players are allergic to four four two, which is nonsense because they played some great games, great games in a four four two. But we're going to go back to four three three, which has certainly brought back some familiarity. And I think the really interesting sort of extra thing that's happened in the in the last little bit um, is simply they've got someone who can make that work because they've been missing the idea that you go back to it was, was ridiculous because you don't have Jorginho anymore mm. and I'm not saying he's the same player because he isn't but I think Diego Demes' arrival has given them something in the middle mm. that fits that makes that formation work again a little bit you've got an actual um, holding player who can tie it together in a way that they haven't had um, and, he, and he, he scored a very very important goal didn't he in in that game against Sampdoria after they yeah. lost the, 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 the two goal lead much has been made of him being the first player called Diego since 1991 to score a goal for Napoli well, as well. Supposedly, he was He's named Diego. for yeah. He's named for yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. But um, and I think bringing in Lobotka in midfield as well. I mean, Lobotka is a guy who's had good seasons and then he sort of fell into the sort of weird sort of vortex of Celta where a lot of good players have gone to become terrible for reasons that are kind of hard to, <laughs> to fully grasp. But he's been liberated from that now. And uh, and I think he's 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 looked good to me in some cases. I think that but but that's what they're doing now, though. Surely this is the rebuild of of this team. You've got a lot of guys who are leaving probably for free in the summer. And uh, I guess maybe now that the transfer window is closed, maybe there'll be a refocusing here. Uh, that this is the last yeah. couple of months of these guys well, being here. I, 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 I don't want to not give any credit to Gattuso. I realized I said that mm. last, but I didn't. And like, and I think he is doing some things right. And he certainly seems to have empowered. Insigne again. Insigne looks like a different player to the one who certainly was a player who seemed not to be getting on well under Ancelotti. Yeah, that is certainly huge. Um, And uh, I think that uh, it was interesting to see Gattuso, even in this game at the weekend, make adjustments during the game. So they started out in 4 3 3. It worked for them at the beginning against Sampdoria because Sampdoria were playing um, really sort of gentle on the press, and, and Napoli scored a couple of goals really quickly. Once Sam started to press higher, the game really turned, aided by an extraordinary Quagliarella goal, just a ridiculous first-time volley. Incredible. He didn't yeah. celebrate, of course, unlike um, some others against the former clubs. <laughs> um, but uh, it turned on that. And then Sam were getting on top of it. And then, um, actually, because Demi didn't start this game, but Gattuso introduced him. And actually, in this game, switched to more like a 4-4-2 to mirror what Sam were doing. And it changed the game again. And they, they were able to get back on top. So he's doing some things well. Mm. Like, I don't want to take away from what he's doing. He, he's doing some things well. It's just that there's a lot more to it than that. Game of the week time. We had some interesting ones last week. Um, the last, last time... Uh, you were on with us, Lars. Uh, you, you you had uh, Bayern versus Schalke. Yes. Not that I want to bit put more, any... A bit more one-sided than I imagined. <laughs> I, I had hopes that uh, David Wagner and his guys would uh, put up some kind of a fight, but all, good Lord. But there, I mean, down but, to the goalkeepers. But Bayern are... You know, I remember last this time last year, we were all sort of 
you know, the situation was vaguely similar in the sense that Bayern had had a rough start to the season. There was Dortmund who was top of the league then, but you did see the sort of the servo started cranking and the sort of slightly rusty Terminator was sort of gearing up behind them and sort of jumping, 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 trudging. It's 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 the same now, except it's worse. They're looking very good now, Bayern. They're looking very slick and and terrifying indeed. Well, it's, it's funny you should say that because I've gone for Bayern versus Leipzig as as my game of the week, uh, five o'clock on Sunday. Um, it's unusual to have Bayern in this late spot, really. They, they, they don't end up in it too often. Um, but it's, it's a really big one. And it's a big one for Leipzig because they've had this significant wobble. A significant um, wobble. In the last couple of weeks. You know, they, they, they just about got a point out of Borussia Mönchengladbach last week. A lot of that down to do with a very controversial Alassane player red card. Um, but Christopher Nkunku scored a brilliant goal to, to salvage them a point. And then... They went and lost in the cup against Eintracht Frankfurt this week. Now, I do sort of wonder if there's a little bit of tension there. Of course, they did sort of make... Julian Nagelsmann did make some light rotation. But then he... It meant something to them because when they were 2-1 down, they they, they brought um, Timo Werner on. They mm. wanted to try and save it. And Werner, we talked about Qualiarella and his fantastic volley... Werner missed a, a lot easier volley a couple of minutes from the end and then Kostic broke and, and, and made it 3-1. But this is absolutely huge for Leipzig, I think. And how much of an influence do we think that the fact that Bayern have retaken the leadership of the Bundesliga could have ahead of this game? I, I, it feels a significant I, I, moment. I think the thing that matters, or the thing that's significant, is that if you look at those games for Leipzig, so many individual mistakes suddenly... Just look at the goals they've conceded in the last... Tension, nerves, vertigo. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking. If you go yeah. through the last three games now against Frankfurt, uh, Gladbach, and then Frankfurt again, a number of the goals they've gone in have been just boneheaded defensive mistakes that they're yeah. suddenly making. And it's hard not to then... It's a little bit of a lazy conclusion, but it's a hard not to draw a line to the fact that they're, they're feeling the pressure a little bit with the sort of the sleek Terminator of Bayern sort of ramping up in the back background or in the foreground now, I expect, and just scoring a bunch of goals and just looking tremendous sleek Terminator I like that yeah, yeah. so give me your game of the week Lars well, well, I'm going to go well speaking of sleek Terminators uh, I'm, I'm going to go to France and uh, <laughs> and watch PSG uh, to take on Lyon um, just because listen as much as he can be a nitwit Neymar at the moment is looking amazing I, he's, he's been so good for PSG recently and, and putting in the kind of performances uh, that makes you think you know, it's hard to argue that any player is worth the transfer fees they're being paid. But you can, the way he's playing now, you can see, okay, fair enough. This is the guy you want to be the focal point of the grand PSG experiment and you want to send a sell shirts around the world and all this. I mean, he has been very, very good and just an attraction to watch. Lyon is one of the very, very few teams in this league who, in theory, has the talent to to give Paris Saint-Germain a game. I know it's not been a great year for them. They've been inconsistent, but there are in players there that if they all have a good day, they could give them some sort of opposition. You, I think it should be fun to watch. You've got to remember as well, Nicky, the debut of Rudy Garcia for, for Marseille was away at Paris Saint-Germain. It was nil-nil, and Marseille, I think, were the first team since they'd started taking the numbers in Ligue 1 to have not had a shot. Like, like not not a shot on target. That like is, not a shot. That is a great start. Uh, I mean, it is yeah. classic park in the bus. <laughs> that is a great start. I, I don't know where you learned that, but anyway. What, what, what's, your, what's your game of the week? Well, spouse us what? No, come on. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the Milan derby this weekend, so it's it's an easy one for me. I'm afraid. Um, it's definitely a a big one. Um, you think Juventus are playing on Saturday, so they're away to Verona. 
I don't think you can assume they win that. Verona have just taken points off um, Napoli and Lazio. So yeah. Verona, that's not a, a gimme. But if Juventus win that, then obviously the pressure is on Inter to respond. If they don't win it, it's going to be another week when Inter have a real opportunity to close the gap and they won't want to blow it like they did um, last time. So pressure on Inter, who of course haven't got Lautaro Martinez, he's suspended, um, against the Milan team that have been slightly resurgent um, with Ibrahimovic uh, back um, back around. And of course, Ibrahimovic with his own history against Inter as well. Actually, Milan have won three of their last four. They drew against Verona. Um, was slightly lucky in a way because Verona were kind of on top until they went down to 10 men. But yeah. this is a Milan team that certainly can defend well, that can that's starting to show some, some attacking life with Ibra in the formation. Not that he's individually been brilliant, but I think he's um, he's sort of knits things together and offers them, I think, an idea of a threat that teams are responding to. And he certainly gives them a target man. Um, but even sort of putting him to one side, they are capable of being a very solid defensive side. And with no Martinez... Against Udinese, Lukaku basically resolved it on his own. They were into a very bad um, at the weekend. And, and then at a certain point in a very dull game, he just turns a half chance into a goal. They get another penalty moments later and that's it. Yeah, there's a lot on him at the moment, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I think this game has got a lot, a lot riding on Lukaku for Inter. Obviously, we're going to see more of Eriksen. He made his debut last weekend and mm. there's hope for some other players to do something. But... I think this is a, a tough game for Inter. Go through the teams player for player. They're better than Milan still. They are. But, you know, Milan are alive again. And actually, Milan, when you look at the league table and you think of how sort of far out of it they felt for so long, they're only seven points off the Champions League places. It's not impossible. Like, it's not unthinkable. Um, so there's, there's you know, there's things riding on this for, for everyone. And uh, I suppose that Verona-Juventus game may also influence quite how, how pressured it feels. This was a Stakhanov production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.